Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, we did a trip to the Billy Graham Library. Anybody ever been to the Billy Graham Library? And you go through the journey of faith, and they've got all kinds of wonderful memories about Billy Graham. And one of the things that I paid close attention to were some of the things that Billy Graham was quoted saying. And one of the things that they had up there in big, bold letters was something along these lines. One of these days, you're going to read or you're going to hear in the news that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? Because I didn't die. I just moved from my earthly home to my heavenly home where I will spend all eternity with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say amen right there. I want to talk to you today just for a few minutes. And the subject that I'm going to get into today is called, How Will It All End? And the subtitle is this, The Truth About Life After Death. And the truth is, everybody is going to go on living after we draw our last breath here on earth. And there's a story in the Bible about the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible tells us that the rich man finds himself in hell and Lazarus finds himself in Abraham's bosom, or what is commonly referred to as heaven today. And it's an important story because if you haven't clued in on this, our culture at large believes in something that's called universalism. And universalism is the belief that everybody goes to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches And that's not what Jesus teaches. As a matter of fact, Jesus is real clear and the Bible is real clear that everyone who has ever lived will either spend eternity in heaven or hell. That's what the Bible says. And so I want to look at a story. The whole story is not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to refer back to a couple of verses to kind of get us moving in the right direction. The story, if you want to find it, it's in Luke chapter 16 in our Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And it's the story of the rich man and, come on, Lazarus. Jesus is speaking. And he says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was wealthy. He had life's best. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, and he was full of sores, who was laid at the rich man's gate. 
desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his source. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now let me pause and just make sure we're on the same page. Having a lot of money or faring sumptuously and having a nice house doesn't mean you automatically go to hell. And being poor or being in lack or not having that much money and having to beg for things or need things doesn't automatically mean that you go to heaven. The point of the message of the story is that at the heart of this rich man, he was overemphasizing temporary earthly riches. And at the heart of the story, we find out because that was so, he didn't have a heart for God and he didn't follow God. So he ended up in hell. On the other side of the coin, we see Lazarus. He's struggling. He's going through things in life. He's in lack. But he wasn't over-encumbered by these earthly temporary riches. There's nothing wrong with a nice house. There's nothing wrong with a nice car. As long as the money doesn't have you, God has you. And so Lazarus had a relationship with God. And so... The rich man finds himself in torment and he says, hey, at least let Lazarus dip his finger in something cool and bring it over here because I'm in torment. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus had evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, Between us and you, there's this gray gap or gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Let me just put it in modern day terms. If they wouldn't listen while they're living to the preachers and the pastors and the Christians of the day, nothing that a dead man who rose from the dead to warn them would change their mind. Verse 30, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now, kids, this might sound like a scary story, but I I think we got to remember that God loves us 
And because He loves us, He always brings the truth to us, but He brings it in a loving way so that we can make a decision for ourselves whether or not we want to follow God. Now, this story tells us that once we pass from this life, in other words, once we take our last breath in this life, there are no second chances. Let me just point out a couple of observations. When followers of Jesus die, they're in the conscious fellowship and joys of heaven and God. In Luke 16.22, it says, Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. To be absent from the body is to be present with the, with the Lord. Christians have heard that before. Here's another observation. When an unbeliever dies, someone who hasn't received the gift of grace through Jesus, they are just as immediately in the conscious pain, suffering, and torment of hell. And I know some of you are thinking, gosh, water baptism Sunday, a day of celebration. Here's the pastor. He's going right for it. Well, we had already planned this message. It's a message that's in a series of teachings because the culture that we live in I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you've watched the news, you probably have. The culture that we live in is called an applied postmodern culture. And what that means is they not only say that we have to adjust truth, they went on to say there is no truth, and they've gone even further. And now they're saying whatever was truth, we have to obliterate it because truth shouldn't exist. And I should be able to make my own truth. How many of you are aware that that's what's happening right now in our culture? And so if we don't come back to the Bible and ask life's big questions and find out what God says about truth. By the way, when Jesus was praying for his disciples in John 17, 17, he said, Father, your word is truth. In other words, what God says is truth. So we want to come back and we're discovering what God says about certain topics in life. And I don't know about you, but I'm convinced that probably the most important subject that we can look to for the truth is the subject of what happens when I take my last breath. It's so important. Luke 16.22 says, The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead there in torment. He saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. I want you to notice this. The rich man didn't ask for his brothers to pray for his release from any type of middle ground like purgatory. Catholicism believes and teaches that there's this middle ground after you die. It's called purgatory. And there you get a second chance to work it up good enough so that you can go to heaven. That's not what our Bible teaches, because if it did, that would nullify the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Why would it have had to do that if we could work our way to heaven? So once you take your last breath, that's it. He was eternally separated from God, and Abraham made it clear to him that there was no hope of ever changing his destiny. So what's the greatest lesson to learn? Pastor Robert from this story. Here it is. If you don't remember anything, remember this. When it comes to death, there's only one thing that matters. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 16, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 
Is anything worth more than your soul? One pastor said this, If you board the train of unbelief, you will have to take it all the way to its destination. See, if we want to be with God, if we want to be with loved ones that have gone to heaven before us, we have to choose Jesus now while we live. Now, this story of the rich man and Lazarus brings up a couple of really good questions. Here's the first one. Pastor Robert, how can a loving God send someone to hell? And that's a good question. I'm not going to go deep, but I just want to touch that real quick. And first, we have to understand that from a non-biblical, a non-Christian worldview, the phrase loving God wrongly assumes something about God which leads people to the wrong conclusion in understanding who God is and how God operates. Here's the wrong assumption. And if you have a sermon guide, this is a fill-in-the-blank. Wrong assumption. Because God is loving, He's non-confrontational. That's a wrong assumption. A non-biblical, non-Christian culture almost all the time defines a loving God as a completely non-confrontational being who is more concerned with the happiness of the individual rather than their actual well-being. And this kind of love, listen, tolerates anything the individual wants to do and only responds with kindness and acceptance no matter how people are living. And that's a wrong assumption of God. Revelation 20 the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, he's, he's on an island of Patmos and he has a revelation. And towards the end of the book of Revelation, he has a vision of what is called the Great White Throne Judgment. And this is what it says in Revelation 20, 11 and 12. And I saw a great white throne and the one, Jesus, sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Listen to this. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Clarification. The dead are not just people who died physically. The dead are those who died spiritually, separated from God while they were on earth. They never chose to follow Jesus. Every one of them has been resurrected to stand before God's throne. Everyone who was wealthy, everyone who was celebrity, everyone who did well, everyone who was on top of the world, and everyone who was on the other side of the spectrum, and everyone in between, if they died without Jesus, they're here, and John sees this. And the books, plural, were opened, including the book, singular, of life, capital L. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural. Let me clarify. Somehow, supernaturally, God is recording in books every sinful deed every human being does. And everyone who dies in their sin without Jesus that's standing there, God's going to open those books. 
And if there's any inclination that they have that they might have been good enough to get into heaven, God's going to turn to the page. And he's going to point it and he's going to read it. Because he's recording it. Every single sinful act. And then he's going to pull out the book. Singular. And this is the big book. This makes a difference. This is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And then he's going to clarify and he's going to look to see if their name is in there. Because everyone who received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, it gets recorded in that Lamb's Book of Life book. And when he finds it, which he won't in this case, because these people didn't make a decision for Jesus. So he's going to judge them. What is he going to judge them based on? Their sin. Oh my. Only because of the blood of Jesus can we escape being judged for our sin. Can somebody say amen? We're so desperate for the blood of Jesus. Now, it's important that we recognize this. God at some point, is going to confront our sin. And if he never confronts it in this life, for sure, based on the scriptures, he's going to confront it in the next life. So the first wrong assumption about a loving God, it is non-confrontational, and he just lets us live however we want to live. It's not true, friend. It's not true. Here's the second wrong assumption. Here's a fill in the blank. Here it is. You ready? This is the second wrong assumption about God. God has love to give. Well, Pastor Robert, I I thought, well, technically, the Bible doesn't say God simply has love, but that God is love. 1 John 4, 8, the back half says, for God is love. Come on, quote that verse with me. Say it, come on. For God is love. This means that it's impossible for God who is love to do anything unloving. It's impossible. We have to understand that because God is love. He won't force anyone to accept Him. He won't force anyone to love Him back. He won't force anyone to receive what He's made available by Him through Jesus. He's giving every single person free will to choose Him or to reject Him in the person of Jesus. That's real love, friend. If someone loves you because you're making them love you, that's not very loving. Amen? Isn't that true? John 3.16. Come on, if you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The best thing that we can do is to agree with the Scripture that God is love. And everything He does is an expression of that perfect love. So here's the next question that I just want to touch on real quick before we leave. Next question. Does God send people to hell? Now, that's a good question. I don't want to preach about that. Let's just watch a video for three minutes. Let's play it. Turn up the volume. Why would a good God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. Actually, we were already on our way to hell. And what God did is he gave us a way out. It's like being on a ship that's sinking and someone's like, hey, there's a lifeboat. You can choose to get on the lifeboat 
but if you reject the lifeboat you automatically go down with the ship it's the same thing our sin was already taking us to hell and god gave us jesus and says this is a lifeboat but if you reject the lifeboat you're automatically going where you are already headed god didn't send you there wow wasn't that good short sweet and to the point let me just quote what he said we were already on our way to hell and god gave us a way out john 3:17 and 18 most people know john 3:16 we just quoted it listen to 17 and 18 for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from condemnation. Saved from eternal separation. And let me just add this. This is so important, okay? Because this is not about religion. This is not about, man, I'm going to just hold out to my last breath. Then I'm going to accept Him. No, no, no. If you do that, you're missing the point. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And life more abundantly. See, God didn't send Jesus just so that you can go to heaven when you die. He sent Jesus so that you can experience some of heaven while you live. And pass that on to your kids. Look at verse 18. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, Pastor Robert, but um, you, don't, you don't even know me. I'm a pretty good person. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Have you ever stolen a five-cent piece of bubble gum? I have. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Working in the yard? I have. Have you ever had lust in your heart? Well, I didn't do anything. Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. What's the point? The point is, nobody is without sin. And that's why Jesus came. Romans 6.23, here's the good news. Come on, somebody say, here's some good news, amen? Romans 6.23, if it's on the screen, let's read it together, Romans 6.23. We got it? Ready? One, two, three, read. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you stand to your feet as we close in prayer? Bow your head for me for just one minute. Father, we're so grateful for the truth of the Scriptures that plainly show us that everybody will live for eternity in one place or another. And with that, the scriptures show, plainly show us that you send Jesus Christ so that we can be saved 
we can be forgiven, we can be made new, and we can come into a relationship with you. And when we take our last breath on the earth, we can be assured beyond a shadow of a doubt that our next one will be in your presence. That's your promise to us, Lord. You love us, so you sent Jesus so that we can come into relationship with you. Keeping your head bowed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Robert, I want to recommit my life to Jesus. I've been kind of wayward. And I want to step back into a relationship with him. Or you might be here and you say, Pastor Robert, I've grown up in church and I've heard all of this stuff, but I've never really made a decision to give my life to Christ and to receive him as Lord and Savior. I want to do that today. If that's you in either one of those places, you want to recommit or you want to commit for the first time, just so that I don't assume anything and we can leave on the same page celebrating your relationship with Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hand up nice and high so that we can pray before you leave. Come on, if anybody wants to receive Jesus as Savior or you want to recommit your life to Jesus as Savior. Anybody in the house? All right, we got one. Anybody else? We got two. Anybody else? Come on, nice and high. Let me see your hand. We got three. Good. Anybody else want to follow Jesus today? Recommit your life. Four. Yeah, we got a bunch of hands going up. All right, repeat this prayer after me. If you're already a Christian, just allow this prayer to remind you of the commitment you made. But if this is a prayer that you haven't prayed in a long time or a prayer that you're praying for the first time, make it your own, but say it with me, okay? Just say this after me. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Holy Spirit, come live in me. Help me to live for Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. With your help, I can do it. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.